Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Mickey Farlow. Well, it's a privilege to be here this morning and be able to share a message from God's Word. I do enjoy the uh, ministry of counseling, but we do have nine other people that help us here, but what I want to share with you is all the counseling is free. So if you know anybody in the church, you know anybody in the community, uh, you can just let them know and we would love to minister to them. In fact, uh, you know, we have a sign out in front of our church. It announces like vacation Bible school, different things like that. And I've encouraged them to put up a sign that just says free counseling. But they're a little afraid to do that just yet. They think we might get too much. But anyway, I encourage you to uh, invite people because we do have answers from God's word. We just, uh, we just ask a simple question. What's the main problem as you see it? What can we help you with? And then what we do is we go to God's word, find a passage of scripture that gives them the hope and the help that they need. And we see that this just meets people's needs. We've been able to see a lot of people get saved through this ministry as well. Well, I'm thankful for his uh, prayer for our message today. And that really is our prayer that um, as you hear God's word opened up and shared with you that God would take that, the Holy Spirit would take that in a supernatural way, open your eyes of understanding, help you to make changes in your life that draw you closer to the Lord and use you in a way that uh, would please him. You know, there are a lot of circumstances in our lives, good or bad, that are so significant that if we knew that they were coming, it would radically change the way you live. You can think back in your life here just for a moment, what are some major things that took place in your life so far that were good or bad, but it had a dramatic change in your life? It doesn't take me long to think back to come up with some. The first one that comes to my mind was when I was 14, my dad became physically disabled, and it was just overnight. Mom woke me and my older brother up and said, you guys got to go milk the cows, take care of the, the hogs and the little pigs and, and that kind of thing. Because dad, dad is too sick. And from then on, uh, that's what we had to do. 5.30 in the morning, before school, go to school, sports, come back, milk the cows, do all of that, get the crops in. And uh, that dramatically changed our life. Then another thing that was good that changed life is when I got married. But man, that was a change too. That was quite an adjustment to go through. And then, after I'd been married for three years, God called me into the ministry. And to leave the farm that I had lived on and grown up with and go in the ministry, that was quite a change. Eight years ago when my doctor said I had cancer, wow, that changed everything. Five years ago when my wife died, that changed everything. And so you can probably think through some things that you've gone through that have changed your life, but if you would have known ahead of time that these circumstances were coming, would you have made some changes in your life? I thought back, if I would have known that my dad was going to contract that disease that quickly, I would have asked him a whole lot of questions before then. How do you do that, Dad? How do you do this? How do you do that to try to be ready? But I didn't have the opportunity to do that. But if you knew some of these changes were coming, would you make changes? I believe you would if you really believed that it was going to happen. Sometimes people tell you something, you're not sure whether to believe it or not. I mean, if your doctor told you that you're going to die in six months, would you make any changes if you didn't believe it? Would you? Probably not. On the other hand, if you truly believed it, 
you'd probably make a lot of changes. I thought if the doctor told me I only had six months to live, I'd probably go out and buy a new car. I don't need to give that to my, my kids. And then I thought, well, since I don't know that, I guess I'll stay with the car I have. But you know what? I'm sure I would make more significant changes than that if I knew I only had six months to live. But this morning, I want to make a statement that if you truly believe it, I believe that it will absolutely change your life. You know what that statement is? Here it is. Jesus is coming back to earth again, and that should change everything. Today I want to look at uh, Revelation chapter 20. We're going to see what is going to happen, what is going to take place when Jesus actually comes back, and how should that affect us? What changes should we make? To understand Revelation chapter 20, we have to kind of get the context even of the book of Revelation. We find that in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 where it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation there, the Greek word, is apocalypse. Sometimes people, when they think of apocalypse, they think destruction of the world. In fact, if you do the Siri thing, she'll say it's the destruction of the world as recorded in the book of Revelation. But if you took that definition... Revelation 1 verse 1 would say the destruction of Jesus Christ. You know, that's not what it's about. What does the word apocalypse mean? It just means to uncover or reveal. So I want to encourage you, don't always get your definition from Siri. Make sure you get your definition from God's word. But what is he telling us in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1? That he, the purpose of the book of Revelation is not just to get facts and to learn all of the prophecy details, but it's to understand who Jesus is even more. I think a lot of people, when they think of the book of Revelation, they actually will even use the word revelations plural because there is so much uh, detail and there is so much prophecy that is in there. And most of the events that we see recorded in the book of Revelation deal with the tribulation, and we're interested in those kinds of things. But what we have to understand is we're not just reading the book of Revelation and studying it to find out all the prophetic events and how they all fit together. What we're doing is we're reading about that because it reveals to us who Jesus is. Now, we know the Scripture says that no man has seen God at any time. But in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, it says this, But even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservant for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, this passage tells us that no man has seen God at any time, but Christ is the image of God. And a lot of people have seen Jesus. Remember, he came down to the earth in Bethlehem. He took upon himself the form of a man, so they actually saw him. And here we see that even though we have, no one has seen God, a lot of people have seen Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus is the image of God. It also says in that verse that the, the knowledge of the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So we see that we can understand and see who God is better by seeing who Jesus is. When it says that Jesus is the face of God, we could say, well, you know, it's kind of like Pastor Scott is the face of harvest. We could say President Trump is the face of our country. 
Governor Pritzker is the face of the state. So that's what we're seeing here as we understand and see Jesus because we can see him, we can understand him. As we do that, it helps us to see and understand God. Now, as we look in the Gospels, we see that that it portrayed or it unveiled or it pictured Jesus in humility. Remember, it says that he left heaven, took upon himself the form of a man, and he humbled himself, and he did that. And he came down here, and we see that he lived on the earth for 33 years. And when we see what Jesus did, we see him more as a humble servant. He washed the disciples' feet. He came to seek and to serve. He did those kinds of things. Now, as we see that, a lot of times people think of Jesus as as a God of love, which he is. But they see him more as a humble person and more of a, a servant. But now what we see is that we're coming to the book of Revelation and we see something different here. We see now that God is wanting to reveal Jesus in all his exaltation and revealing him as king. Instead of coming earlier as a servant in the Gospels, he is the king now. And as we look in Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 through 20, we see him in all of his blazing glory. You should read Revelation chapter 1. It it describes what his countenance is, and you see the power, and you see the light that he has, a wonderful description and a scary description of Jesus. Then as you look in chapters 2 and 3, he is being portrayed or revealed as the Lord of the church. This is the age that we live right now. He is the Lord of the church. As you look in chapters 4 through 20, you see his second coming as he comes down to the earth, and he takes back control of the earth, and he takes it away from Satan. Well, that's a wonderful thing. He's powerful enough. We sang in the song that when he comes back, the Satan is going to flee. And this is what we're going to see in Revelation chapter 20. And Jesus established his kingdom during the millennial reign. And then we find in chapters 21 and 22 that Jesus lights up the eternal state. Those two chapters talk about what heaven is going to be like, what earth is going to be like as it's recreated again. When it talks about that light, it's interesting to me that you know in heaven there's several things that are not going to be there. There's going to be no pain. There's going to be no suffering. There's going to be no sickness. But you know what? There's one other thing that may seem small but kind of stood out to me. In heaven, in the new kingdom, there will be no shadows. And you go, why is that so important? Well, when you think about it, in this room, if you look under your chair, there's going to be a shadow. Wherever there's light, there's shadow. But God is light, and it says in eternity there's not going to be any need for the sun or the moon. We don't need that because Jesus is light. But Jesus is omnipresent, and he is everywhere. He permeates everything, and there will be no darkness. That's a wonderful thing when we think about that. But Jesus is coming back, and the book of Revelation is giving a different picture than what the Gospels. In fact, the word apocalypse that we see in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, every time it refers to a person, it means that that person becomes clearly visible. And that's what I want you to see as you study the book of Revelation, especially as we get into Revelation chapter 20 today, my prayer is that you will see Jesus in a different light. You will see him in a a fuller light. You'll have a greater understanding of him. Again, in the Gospels, he was portrayed and we saw him as a servant. Now we see him coming in as a king. We see him coming in with judgment and justice, where when he first came, you see the love and the mercy that he had. How can God be a God of love and a God of judgment at the same time? 
A lot of times as I talk to people, they say, well, I believe in a loving God. I don't believe God would send anybody to hell. We're going to see in Revelation chapter 20, he's going to send a lot of people to hell. They just don't think that fits. How can that be? God is not a God of judgment. God is a God of love. Let me give you this one illustration that I think will help you to see how that balance fits. We know that God is holy, right? He cannot sin. Imagine a judge in a courtroom. And a police officer comes walking up to the bench, and the police officer has the judge's son with him. And the judge looks at the officer and says, why is my son here? Hey, I caught him speeding. you got to fine him $200 or throw him in jail for a couple months. And the judge looks at the officer and says, officer, I love my son. Let him go. What would that officer think of the judge? That guy's a crook. Same thing with God. God is just. And when we sin and we know everybody has sinned, he can't just overlook it. He can't say, well, you can come up to heaven, but come the back way and don't tell anybody. No, God is just. He cannot sin, and he has to pronounce judgment on every sin. And so that judge in that courtroom, what he has to do is drop the gavel and say, son, you are guilty of speeding, and you've got to go to jail or you've got to pay the fine. It's just like God. He drops down the, the gavel of judgment. And he says, Everyone, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. Everyone deserves to go to hell. But then you know what that judge could do after he pronounced sentence on his son? He'd get down off the bench. He'd go down there and say, son, I know you're guilty. You deserve to pay the fine or you deserve to go to jail, but I love you and I'm willing to pay that fine. He could pull out $200. He could put it there on the, on the table and say, son, I love you and all you have to do is take that money, give it to the officer and your debt is paid and you can go free. Now if the judge did that, what would the officer think about the judge? He would say, well he's just, he pronounced sentence but he's loving, he's willing to pay the fine. And that's what God did for us. He is just and he pronounces sentence on us but then we see he's loving and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins to offer us the gift of eternal life. But God doesn't force eternal life on anybody. And we're going to see in Revelation chapter 20 that many people are going to reject it during the millennium. But he offers that gift of eternal life. He doesn't force it on us, but he says it's here and I want you to receive it. And all you have to do is reach out and receive it just by prayer. Just say, God, I get it. I understand it now. I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. I want you to forgive my sins and give me that gift of eternal life. I want to be in your family. So we see that God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice, and you see how it fits together. You understand that with the the judge in the courtroom, the same thing applies to God. So we see in the Gospels, he's presented as a servant, ministering to us, and now we get to the book of Revelation, and he said, the end is near, I'm the judge. When we see all the wickedness that's going on in the world today, many times people say, why does God allow all of this wickedness and sin and evil to go on? Do you know why he's doing it? It's because of his loving kindness. It's because of his patience. It's his long suffering. Because he's not willing that any should perish. And he's giving people in the world more opportunities to repent. Because there's going to be a time, as we see in Revelation 20, when he says, that's it. This is the end. And there's no more opportunity to repent. So he is the judge. And everybody's going to be accountable for everything that they do in this life. For those who put their faith and trust in Christ, he will forgive us of our sins. But those who reject him will have to, they will be judged for every sin that they ever commit in their life. You know, as we we learn about God, as we see here in Revelation, we're going to understand and see him even better. The more we understand about God, 
the more we understand we don't understand about God. In uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 33, it says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Well, what is it that's unsearchable? In that verse it says it's his judgments and his ways. Well, what does it mean, his judgments and his ways? Well, when you, you see that in, in Romans chapter 11, so what it's referring to is everything that's covered from Romans chapter 1 up through chapter 11, verse 33. What do those 11 chapters deal with? It deals with explanations of our salvation. And you go, wow, it takes 11 chapters to do that? I thought John 3.16 did it really well. Well, John 3.16 does. When I was just six years old, I only understood John 3.16 and and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I knew Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And at six years old, I understood that and I got saved. But God says there is so much more to salvation, not that you need more to be saved, but he's explaining everything that he does and what's involved in salvation well, here's some things that I didn't understand at six years old, and some of these things I still don't understand today. I didn't understand the virgin birth and how that worked. I didn't understand how that our body, when we die, that it stays here and the spirit either goes to heaven or hell. I still don't understand how that works. Or how could Jesus die for the sins of the world at one point, and he died for the sins past, present, and future, even for the people that haven't even been born yet? I don't understand how we get a new nature. I don't understand how the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us at salvation. I don't understand election and free will, how that all fits together. I don't understand how God can resurrect our bodies out of dust, wherever it is, all over in the world, and give us a glorified body. I don't understand how he can do that and reunite our body with our soul. I know these things are true, but the more I study it, the more I go, man, God is complex. God is great. And my awe for him is even more and more and more because, as the scripture says, unsearchable are his judgments and his ways. Well, it's kind of like when I look at the ocean. I can't see all of the ocean. I only see a little bit. I know there's a whole lot more to the ocean than what I see. And then I know I'm only seeing on top of the ocean. If you go underwater, wow. There is so much more there. There are mountains under the water. There are huge fish and all kinds of animals. Sometimes I watch the Discovery Channel and some of those animals they find are there are really weird looking things, right? But even the scientists don't know everything. The more they study it, they go, wow, there is so much more. They're in awe of the ocean. You look at the sky and the stars and the planets and, and you're in awe. You know that there's so much more beyond that. Even the scientists, the more they study and the farther away they can see, they go, there is so much more that we can't see. That's just what God created. He's above all of that. That's just his toys that he created. We don't even understand the things that he created. But as we get to understand more and more what God is like, it helps us to realize how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And our awe of God just gets greater and greater. And that's why we can give glory to him. As we look at Revelation chapter 20, we understand that it's to help us to see God even better. But to give us a picture of where we are here is we're kind of jumping into the prophetic timeline. 
We know we're in the church age right now, and the next event that's going to take place is the rapture. So those that are believers, know Christ as personal Savior, will go immediately to be with God up in heaven. Those who haven't received Christ's personal Savior, you're going to go through the tribulation for seven years, and it's going to be a terrible thing. And chapters 4 through 19 deal with the tribulation, go through a lot of the details. But at the end of the tribulation, that's when Jesus is going to come back, and there's the battle of Armageddon. And that's what we find in Revelation chapter 19 and verses 11 through 21. As we come to chapter 20, this is the time. Jesus has already fought the battle. Satan is defeated, but guess what? Now's when he ties him up and he throws him in prison for a thousand years. That's where we are now as we pick up here in Revelation 20 and verse 1, and we see that Satan's evil influence will be totally eliminated. Verse 1 says this, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. These are... uh, Uh, handcuffs is what I call them. These are God's handcuffs for Satan. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. The first thing I see here, the Bible teaches the devil is real. The devil is the author of all sin. Satan was the first one who sinned. He tempted Adam and Eve, and then they sinned, and because of their sin that we are all born into sin. He is the epitome of sin. He is the father of all lies. He is the father of all evil. He is real. As we read this passage of Scripture, there are four names given him that are very instructive. He's called the dragon, a ferocious and destructive beast who wants to destroy us. He's that ancient serpent, the one who tempted Eve. He's the devil. That means a slanderer, an accuser. And he's called Satan. He's our enemy and our adversary. He's intent on our destruction. I think many times few of us really have any good conception of what Satan is doing in this world today. We don't see him. We just go along with our lives and we don't think about anything. But I want you to understand, remember when Peter was arguing with Jesus? And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Anytime there's an argument, sin is involved. We also see in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, where it says, don't be angry. And when it says that, then you see the next verse, neither give place to the devil. What does that have Why do they put that in there? It seems out of context. He's talking about anger. Okay, how can we have anger management? How can we be better with that? No, what he's saying here, if you're angry, you are giving Satan an opportunity in your life. In the Old Testament, it says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as idolatry. You know what rebellion is? It's just disobeying God. Anytime you disobey God, you're opening yourself up to satanic influence. That's what it's saying. Now, the scripture says we're either controlled by Satan or we're controlled by the Holy Spirit. You think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, temperance, meekness. If that's how you're responding, you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. If you are angry and arguing, you're controlled by Satan. You've given him a place in your home. That's what it says, neither give place to the devil. Can you imagine... Being at home at noon and in your chairs, say, here, let Satan sit here. Give up your chair. Let him have a seat in our home. You'd say, I'd never do that. But when you get angry, when you argue, when you disobey God's word, that's what you're doing. You're just inviting him in. 
Now, don't be worried about Satan because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But what you have to do is you have to be obedient. God only protects obedient Christians. If you can imagine being in a war and there's, there's landmines out there and they've cleared a path and there's no landmines there and they say, here's a, the path. If you walk this path, you'll be safe. But if you get off the path, hey, you're on your own. We don't know where the landmines are. And that's why the scripture says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God says, this is the way, walk therein. And some people say, that's too legalistic. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. God is just saying, walk on the path that is safe. And if you walk on the path that is safe, you follow the commands that are in God's word, I can protect you. But if you get off the path, you're on your own. You, you can get, you're given a place to the devil. He can get to you. There's going to be landmines out there. You can blow up. And God is saying, I don't want anyone to suffer. I want you to be safe. It's just like following the rules of the road. You drive on the right side of the road, not on the left side of the road. That's for your safety. It's not because they're trying to inhibit your liberty. And that's what God is saying here. But you know what? I think so many of us as believers and people in this world, we don't take Satan seriously. For most of us, the devil is no more real than the Quincy High Blue Devil mascot. I was in Quincy, Illinois, Calvary Baptist Church. This is what they wear everything. My grandkids were going there and I said, don't you wear that shirt. But they did anyway. You know, but they don't think of it as important. In every basketball game, uh, the mascot comes out and he's, he's uh, painted up in blue and he's got the cape on and he's got, he's got a, a pitchfork and fire shoots out of the pitchfork and, and he runs around the gymnasium trying to get everybody all psyched up because of the blue devils. You know what I want to do? What I wanted to do all those years I was there when I go to a basketball game, I wanted to go down there on the court and I wanted to grab the microphone and I wanted to tell them the devil is real and he's the one that wants you to go to hell and I was wanting to share the gospel with them so they would get saved. But you know what? A lot of them, it's not a big deal. Satan is not real, but he is alive and real. And it says that he is actually the God of this world. But what I want you to see here, there's going to be a time as we see in Revelation that God is going to chain him up. And he's going to chain him up, as we just read, and going to put him into the abyss. This will be the first time since the Garden of Eden when the human race will be free from Satan's presence. I'm not even sure I can comprehend what that is. I don't know what that's like. I've never experienced it. I can't even imagine it. But we know in 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul wrote that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light. 1 John 5.19 John says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You know what? We pretty much understand how Satan tempts and deceives individuals, but in Revelation 23, it says he deceives the nations. I think we'd all be stunned if somehow we could have some kind of spiritual insight and see how, how Satan and his demons are affecting the world. The influence on national and international politics and world affairs. In Daniel 10, we see that Satan has appointed powerful demons over the nations of the world. In Daniel 10, verses 10 through 13, we see that Gabriel, a good angel, is fighting the prince of Persia. Now, the prince of Persia is a demon. It's a fallen angel. It's not a man because it says that he fought with him for 21 days. If an angel was fighting a man, it'd be over immediately. Angels are so much more powerful. But they were fighting for 21 days, and then Michael, the archangel, came in and helped defeat them. And I believe, and many Bible commentators believe, that there are dis demons assigned to every country. No wonder our world is in such a mess. 
But you know what? Jesus is coming back. And that is going to change everything. For a thousand years, Satan's evil influence will be totally eliminated from the earth. Wow, that's hard to imagine. We see also, at the end of the tribulation, all the dead in Christ will be raised to life. We see that in verse 4. It says here, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus Christ because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. At the end of the tribulation, all of the tribulation martyrs will be resurrected and given a glorified body and will be able to rule and reign with Jesus for the thousand years. We find in Daniel chapter 12, all of the Old Testament saints who are in heaven today, but their bodies, they don't have a glorified body yet. At the end of the tribulation, it says that their bodies will be resurrected and they'll have a glorified body. For us who are in the church age, our bodies, we will receive our bodies at the rapture. So at the end of the tribulation, at the beginning of the millennium, all of the believers, all of the Old Testament saints, and all of the tribulation uh, martyrs will be resurrected and given new bodies and be able to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. That will be a wonderful, wonderful time. Well, then we go on in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 7, and we see something that is almost unbelievable. We see here that uh, Jesus will allow Satan to come out of uh, prison. He will be released, and he'll be allowed to go through and recruit people to follow him. And we see that Satan will lead a final rebellion. In verse 7, it says this, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number there like the sand on the seashore, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, which is Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is mind-boggling. How could people that have, have lived with Jesus for a thousand years follow Satan? You understand that at the end of the tribulation, there will be some believers that will not be killed during the tribulation, and they will enter uh, the millennium in their natural bodies, just like what we have. And they will have children, and their children will have children. And there is no death during the millennium. So there will be millions of people that will be born during that time, but each person individually has to put their faith and trust in Christ. You would think they would all do it because Jesus is the master evangelist. Jesus is the, the leader. He is the king. He is ruling and reigning. And you'd think everybody would choose him. But when Satan is loose, you see that multitudes follow Satan. On the outside, they looked like good people, but inside, their heart was far from God. And then we see in the last five verses of Revelation 20, the wicked will be raised to be judged for their sins. This is probably the saddest passage of Scripture in all the Bible. It says in verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. If you've heard people talk about the great white throne judgment, this is it. 
And this is when the judgment is going to take place. And it says, earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible says as believers, if we're a child of God, if we sin, we ask God to forgive us, and he washes away those sins, casts them away as far as the east is from the west. But everyone who has rejected God, who is not a believer, they can ask God to forgive their sins, but he won't forgive their sins because they're not in God's family. And here it says at the great white throne judgment, they're going to be judged according to the books, and that's plural. And the Bible says that God keeps track of every one of our sins of an unsaved person. Thoughts, words, deeds. He keeps track of all of that. And he, they will be judged at the great white throne judgment. That's what's going to take place. And then it says the book of life is also going to be there. Well, why is the book of life there? The book of life just shows the names of the people who are in God's family. And nobody at the great white throne judgment, none of their names are in there. Well, he's going to have it to show them that their name isn't there. Because in Matthew 7, it says many at the great white throne judgment are going to say, Lord, Lord, I shouldn't be here. I've done many wonderful works in your name. I believe in you. I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And God is going to say, depart from me into everlasting wickedness. I never knew you. Just because somebody says they're a Christian doesn't mean they're a Christian. The only way you can be a child of God is when you understand that you're a sinner and that you deserve hell. And God loved you and Jesus died for you and you ask for that forgiveness. That's what's going to take place at the great white throne judgment. And at that point, many, many, many people will be sent to hell. Wow. If you believe what this says, how should that change your life? One of the ways it ought to change your life is you ought to realize, I don't want anybody to go to hell. I want to share the gospel. I want to share the good news with as many people as I can. You may think, well, that's kind of embarrassing to do that. You know what? If you really believe what this scripture says, you're going to go to them because you love them and you don't want to see them perish and go to hell. People need to understand the bad news. That's what Revelation says here because these people, it's too late for them. The great white throne gem, it is too late. And that's why we have to help people see this is what it says and be able to tell them this is what you need to do before that ever takes place. Well, How should this change our life? First of all, we need to realize the Lord's come back at any time. We don't have time to be able to share with people. We we don't know when the Lord is going to come. We don't know when our death is going to come. This morning, I had a surprising thing. I had my phone, and it it was uh, plugged in the outlet to charge it up. And I I had the Daily Bread app, and I was uh, watching the Daily Bread app at 5.30 this morning. Lightning hit. It came through that and shocked my hand. It And I just thought, whoa, I'm glad it wasn't that bad, but it just reminded me, you never know when your life is going to be over. You don't know when the rapture is going to take place. We need to be looking for the return of the Lord. Also, if we really believe this is true, the Bible says everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The Bible also says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify God in heaven. 
You don't do good works to get saved, but when you're saved, you ought to live like a Christian. And when people see your good works, it's not to say you're a good person. It points them to Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to do. We want to be salt and we want to be light. And it points them to Jesus Christ so that they can be, share, that they can be saved. And we've got to share the good news. Let them know this is the destiny for everybody who hasn't trusted in him. And then let them know the good news. Heaven is not earned or deserved. It is a free gift. And we need to receive that free gift. So, how should we respond to this message today? We need to realize that Satan's evil fluence will be eliminated one day. God is powerful enough to do that. He is going to raise all the saved dead to life again. Satan will lead a final rebellion, but God has the final victory at the great white throne judgment. So the question is, if you believe this, are you going to be the kind of witness that God wants you to be? Are you going to live the kind of life that sheds the light to people? Are you going to share the gospel so that they would be saved? We need to live in light of the truth of understanding who God is. It should change our life every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. We believe it. Lord, as we believe it, it should change our lives. But there may be people here in the congregation or people watching online that have never put their faith and trust in you. And now they say, I get it. I understand it. I don't want to to go through the tribulation. I don't want to face the great white throne judgment. And Lord, for anyone like that, I just pray that they would, would pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I understand it. Now I get it. I understand that I'm a sinner and I deserve to go to hell. But I don't want to go there and you don't want me to go there. I understand now that you love me and that Jesus died for me on the cross. Please save me from hell. Forgive me my sins. Give me that gift of eternal life and make me a child of God. Then, Lord, for those that are already believers in Christ, help the truth of this judgment and your power to just grip their heart and realize I need to be out there sharing the gospel with my friends. They shouldn't be afraid of the COVID virus and dying the physical death. They need to be concerned about the spiritual death. Help me to be brave and to share that with them. So, Lord, help us to walk out of this church service this morning, changed people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.